It's the terrain over which one of the most famous battles of the Vietnam War was fought. The locals knew it as Dong Ap Bia, or Mountain of the Crouching Beast. The Americans who fought there came to call it Hamburger Hill. I'm Oliver North, and in this podcast, you'll meet heroic U.S. Army soldiers who fought one of the most vicious battles of the Vietnam War. In May of 1969, the famed 101st Airborne Division launched Operation Apache Snow. The mission was simple. Enter the Ashaw Valley, find the North Vietnamese Army soldiers there, and kill them. At the time, my unit, Company K, 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines, was deployed northwest of the 101st. We were along the DMZ, separating North and South Vietnam, and we knew the Asha's steep jungle-covered slopes and valleys were an enemy stronghold. In this fascinating War Stories podcast, you'll hear my extraordinary conversation with a North Vietnamese Army infantryman who fought our enemy on that very terrain. Listen as he describes tactics that worked against our soldiers and Marines and the U.S. weapons he feared the most. You'll also hear what it was like from U.S. soldiers who battled for the mountain, men like Frank Boccia, John Snyder, and Ray Walker, all members of Bravo Company, 3rd Battalion, 187th Regiment of the famed Screaming Eagles. On 11 May 1969, it was Bravo Company that first encountered the heavily armed and fortified positions of the North Vietnamese Army's 29th Regiment. The days that followed took hundreds of lives and wounded thousands. Hollywood made the fight into a movie, but you must listen to this podcast if you truly want to understand the battle for Hamburger Hill. Risking serious injury due to unexploded bombs and ordnance, our War Stories documentary team journeyed to the very top of Hamburger Hill. We're the first journalist or camera crew to visit Hamburger Hill since the war. This podcast will provide you with an amazing understanding of what it was like to do battle on the slopes of a rainforest-covered mountain. Was this fight worth the terrible toll? We investigate. You decide. If you're hiring, you know that quality hires keep your business moving forward. But you also know it can take a lot of time to find the right candidate for the right job. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job on over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then... ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash strive. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash strive. One more time, get it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash strive. The local tribes called this the Mountain of the Crouching Beast. After days of bloody combat on these rugged slopes, the Americans who fought here would know it by another name, Hamburger Hill. I'm Oliver North. This is War Stories, coming to you from the Ashau Valley of Vietnam. From the beginning of the war, 
these steep triple canopy covered slopes and valleys were an enemy stronghold. In May of 1969, South Vietnamese forces and the fabled 101st Airborne Division launched Operation Apache Snow. The objective, find, fix, and destroy North Vietnamese Army units in the Southern Ashaw. What they encountered on this ground was a well-prepared enemy ready to stand and fight. Tonight on War Stories, 11 Days in Hell, the real story of Hamburger Hill. He says that the 29th NVA is up there and they're the pride of Ho Chi Minh. They're down here to kill Americans. I said, well, they came to the right place and then we came out here to kill North Vietnamese, so the two of us ought to get together. As day broke on the morning of 10 May 1969, hard-charging North Carolina native Lieutenant Colonel Weldon Honeycutt was in his second war. His radio call sign was Blackjack, and his unit, 3rd Battalion, 187th Regiment, 101st Airborne Division, the famed Screaming Eagles. Little did he or the 500 men in his command know that they were about to engage in one of the fiercest battles of the Vietnam War. Blackjack and his battalion, nicknamed the Rakasans, were about to embark on Operation Apache Snow. What did you know of enemy troop strength? The only thing we really honestly knew was that the NVA was in there. Four other battalions would join Honeycutt's Rakasans, all told, nearly 2,000 U.S. and South Vietnamese soldiers. At first light, the 3rd Battalion of the 187th began to board 65 UH-1 helicopters. The human air thundered with the sounds of artillery and airstrikes prepping the landing zones 13 miles away. The Rakasan's LZ was a thousand meters from what the locals called Dong Op Bia, Mountain of the Crouching Beast. It would soon be known as Hamburger Hill. It was in the heart of the Ashaw Valley, a long way from Minnesota. Nothing good happened in the Ashaw. It was a bad place. It was Indian country. After graduating from high school in 1967, Minneapolis-born Joel Troutman volunteered before being drafted. I'd never seen that many choppers together. There were literally dozens of choppers. By May of 69, Joel was a first lieutenant, and he'd been with Charlie Company, third of the 187th, for six months. We always operated out in the mountains. There was no civilian population. By that spring, America's involvement in Vietnam was entering its last act. In the 1950s, following the war with France, Vietnam was divided in two, an American-backed Democratic South and a Soviet and Chinese-supported Communist North. I, Richard Bilhouse Nixon, do solemnly swear. In the United States, a new president was in office. One of Nixon's key campaign promises dealt specifically with the war. And I pledge to you tonight that the first priority foreign policy objective of our next administration will to be bring an honorable end to the war in Vietnam. In the nine years since President John Kennedy dramatically increased the number of military advisors, almost two million Americans had served in Vietnam, and over 80,000 Americans and South Vietnamese had died in the war. In North Vietnam, 79-year-old Ho Chi Minh had just months to live. He dedicated his life in unwavering and ruthless fashion to a single purpose, a unified, independent Vietnam. I 
Yashaw Valley was a major hub on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. It was a 300-mile journey from North Vietnam through Laos and Cambodia and back into South Vietnam. It was very important to the strategy of the war from the North Vietnamese point of view. Samuel Zafiri is a veteran of the war in Vietnam and wrote Hamburger Hill. Operation Apache Snow was to uh, literally clean out the valley so that they, they could no longer mass forces. The term trail belies the road network over which the communists moved thousands of tons of equipment in this mountainous rainforest. We saw trucks at night with lights on driving down Ash Hall Valley. After graduating from Texas A&M in 1964, Air Force Junior Lee Sanders joined the Army. By May of 69, he was a captain on his second tour and commanding Delta Company, 3rd of the 187th. Absolutely. The bravest men I've ever seen in my life. Joining Sanders and Delta Company were Connecticut native Mike Rockland and 22-year-old Tom McGall. Delta Company was the first uh, uh, company in on the LCs. The sawgrass that we went into was about five, six feet. And the chopper stayed up another 10. So I threw my rucksack out. But I do recall thinking, where's the bottom as we were heading down? It was an interesting first experience there on ground. New Hampshire-born McGall was a combat veteran. But for 24-year-old Rockland, Hamburger Hill would be his first taste of combat. And what was your job? Radio telephone operator. RTO. RTO. Carrying a PRC-25. Oh, man, what an ass kicker. I know you'll take that out. And uh, We may not. Yeah. <laughs> Rockland's 20-pound radio was just one piece of heavy equipment the soldiers carried into the battle. As 10 May dragged on, choppers continued to ferry men into the wilderness. Among them, Spec 4 Johnny Jackson and the rest of Alpha Company. Describe what you're wearing. You carried water, uh, ammunition for yourself, ammunition for the machine gun. So I was carrying my weight every day until the rations that they gave us diminished. As Honeycutt's soldiers hit the LZ, he ordered them into the jungle to search out the enemy. We returned to the Ashaw in the spring of 2006. Our mission? Get to the top of Hamburger Hill. The only enemy? A steep trail and temperatures reaching 105 with humidity near 100%. Our mandatory government guides from the Ministry of Information told us no journalist had been here since the war. In part, they were kept away by the serious risk of injury due to unexploded ordnance. War stories returned to this battlefield with Frank Boscia. Back in May of 69, Frank was a first lieutenant with Bravo Company, the last of the Rakasans to hit the LZ. The company was still recovering from an intense firefight just days earlier. What were you told that your mission was going to be on the 10th of May? Bravo Company was to be the battalion CP security. It's supposed to be easy. On the ground, John, what do you see? They're immediately moving us through the battalion headquarters on up the trail toward the hill. I don't remember stopping, waiting, or anything. With Frank that May was Pennsylvania-born John Snyder and 21-year-old Ray Walker. We were expecting a hot LZ, sort of, and maybe some, some ground fire. After moving off the LZ toward the top of Dong Bia, they encountered enemy trail watchers. But it was mostly quiet. Took those guys out, and we started on up the hill. This was getting late in the afternoon, and so we started setting up an NDP. Night defense. That's right. Back down the hill, Blackjack was pushing Bravo Company hard. Honeycutt wanted the mountain peak for his battalion command post. It was only one click or kilometer, 
but it was a thousand meters in some of the harshest jungle on earth. The terrain is horrendous. Jungle over everything. Vines everywhere, very, very hot. But the terrain was just one enemy. The hills were alive with General Vo Nguyen Jap's 29th Regiment of the North Vietnamese Army. Emboldened by their success and America's wavering public support for the war, the NVA were pushing hard down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Very well equipped. I mean, they had heavy mortars. They had machine gun positions all over in the mountains. They had hospital units. They had field kitchens. This was not a ragtag army. They were well trained. They were determined. As the sun set on day one, the Rakasans settled in for a restless night. They could feel the enemy all around them. With a new day, Hamburger Hill would take its first pound of flesh out of Frank Bosha, John Snyder, Ray Walker, and the rest of Bravo Company. We were definitely going into contact. It was just a matter of when they wanted to hit us. Lieutenant Frank Bosha, John Snyder, and the 120 men of Bravo Company move up the hill and are engaged in a well-concealed line of enemy bunkers, virtually eliminating 4th Platoon. That's next on War Stories. Eleven May 1969, Mother's Day in America. But that Sunday found more than a few mothers worried about their boys. Their sons were at war in Vietnam. Operation Apache Snow was kicking into high gear. The plan called for the 101st Airborne and South Vietnamese to clear the enemy out of the Asha Valley. But Bravo Company, third of the 187th, the Rakasans were behind schedule. They were supposed to be on the top of Hamburger Hill the day before. But even a good plan never survives first contact with the enemy. And that morning found Frank Bosha, John Snyder, Ray Walker, and the rest of Bravo Company a hard fight from the top. We moved out and began to see things that we didn't like. I had a very experienced man on point. American Indian? Yes, Philip Nelson. And he came back to me and he said, Sir, this just ain't right. Bosch's platoon was guiding all of Bravo Company up Dong Op Bia. Everything about the mountain screamed, be afraid. The trail was so obvious. Bloody bandages left, pieces of equipment scattered around. It's almost like, this way, dummy. Well, for some reason, and I'm not sure what, they stopped and they pulled over the side and they moved fourth platoon on up there. The strap on my RTO's radio broke as he lifted it up and he had to fix it. 20-year-old Dennis Helms was that radio operator. The CO got real frustrated about that and he called the next platoon forward. It's essentially single file. Yes. I mean, that's the way that that's right, that's is. Way it is yeah. Now this is typical of the Razorback Ridge that we had to walk up to get to the top of the hill. You can see over here just how steep it is and why it was impossible for us to get off the trail. Anybody trying to maneuver down there would be lost. The terrain also created problems in combat. With nowhere to spread out, take position and return fire, the company couldn't bring all their weapons to bear. We came to a clearing very similar to this. Immediately past that was a very steep portion of the ridge. When you got to the top of that very steep portion, there was a second clearing 
much broader than this, and that was the kill zone. As the point man entered the clearing, he would naturally stop, but the men behind him would continue to move and bunch up, and now you would have four or five men in the kill zone, and that's when the enemy hit us. They would pop up and fire at us and run back, you know, and just kind of, as you look back on it, pulling you up into uh, their trap. They just hit us just all of a sudden out of nowhere. They raised up out of the little hatches, spider hole. I'll never forget Terry Larson. They shot him right here. I mean, just right between the eyes as, as, uh, as straight as you could do it. Terry was as nice a kid as you'd ever want to meet. Some of us moved up to help get casualties. When you moved up to do that, you were right in it. It was just get in here, get this guy, and get him out. And it's scary time. It takes four or five guys. One man on each leg, one man on each arm. And a soldier had a bullet hole right there. Did that get your attention? I thank the Lord, you know, for a broken ruck strap. It, it evidently saved my life and Lieutenant Bosch's as well. 400 meters to the rear, Honeycutt was organizing a counterattack. I looked up and I saw two Hueys. They turned. When I saw them turn, I said, everybody get down. They're going to fire us up. So uh, I'm looking up there, and here comes the uh, rockets. They hit right in the CP. They thought we were the enemy. I got hit in the back and shoulder and in the back of the head. But hell, that was all in minor. It's impossible to continue to attack when your battalion CP's been destroyed. As darkness fell, the Rakasans still didn't know what they were up against. What they did know is that they would be going up the hill again in the morning. We could actually hear the Vietnamese talking down in the valleys on each side of us. We knew we had problems. Heavy enemy fire brings down two helicopters, one directly atop the wounded soldiers. It was to medevac. When War Stories returns, the Screaming Eagles are forced to break off the attack to recover their dead and wounded. By the morning of 12 May 1969, the entire Ashaw Valley was alive with gunfire. Overnight, 40 hours into the battle, another battalion of the Screaming Eagles, the first of the 506, suffered what the division assistant commander described as the worst mortar attack he'd ever seen. General Giap's North Vietnamese Army was determined to meet the American units invading their sanctuary. You actually got wounded twice, didn't you? Three or four times there. Before dawn, the Rakasan's wounded commander flew himself to a field hospital to remove shrapnel. But before sunrise, Blackjack was back in the fight. I went about to leave that battalion. No way, Jose. The morning of the 12th, what mission are you given? Our mission was to probe. Same trail? Same trail. So instead of moving into the clearing, we tried to flank it. But you couldn't flank the bunkers. They had a perfect spot. John, can you see the enemy shooting at you? Yep. I get up to where this log comes to a standing tree. I look up over the log, see what's going on. There's enemy soldier, no helmet. I can see about this much of him. That's when they started working on me with machine gun. And I was pinned behind that log. There was no way out. It was becoming clear that there was a formidable enemy force on Hamburger Hill, and it was up to the Rakasans to knock them off. 
John is sitting here, and I don't mind telling him I had to make one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. John's position was such that he was going to have to be the last man to leave. I jumped. I actually dove down the hill. It was steep there. I just dove down the hill. I've got to say, John, I didn't expect to see you come back down off of that thing. Um, but he did. Bravo Company needed a landing zone closer to the front lines to get supplies in and wounded out. To help clear the LZ, Blackjack ordered up the engineers. You remember seeing that helicopter hovering over the side? Yes. The chopper itself was hit. We're coming down. And it crashed. I would say it was small arms fire. It doesn't crash in the little zone. No, no, it crashed about 50 to 75 meters from us. And do those engineers survive? Some of them did. The door gunner got killed. And the two pilots, and I think it's the ones that came out of that, both survived and both were both wounded. Attack turned to rescue. But the down chopper was only part of the problem. North and south of Bravo's position, two of Honeycutt's other companies were having a rough time. Basic tactics called for hitting the hill from multiple sides. To Bravo's south, Charlie Company was moving up a similar ridge and encountering the same problems. To the north, Delta Company was moving up to attack, but the terrain was murder. A combined assault would have to wait until the 13th. I get sent back actually on the 13th. My job is to sneak around to the left and hit them in the left flank. The terrain was awful. The heat was some of the steepest terrain we'd ever been in. We had to literally scale a cliff using ropes and send somebody up, tie a rope up, and guess what? The MVA discover where I'm at, and they start pouring the fire in. They caught us in a low area down there, and uh, we got shot up pretty good. And now we were in a situation where we had to get our people back and see if we get them medevaced out. A dust-off chopper was called. Dust-off, over. It was a hoist mission, and he was hovering at about 90 to 100 feet. Actually starting to hoist some of the injured, the enemy hit the helicopter with an RPG, a rocket-propelled grenade, which immediately caused the helicopter to crash. He just spun his way right down on top of us. The guys are just scrambling to get these guys out of there. And Tom McGall has to reach in there, and it's fire reach in there and the, the pilot's the only one we saved. It went up in flames immediately and just, there was no way to get people out. Seven or eight dead and at least eight or ten wounded. I got a little splash in my legs to, uh, of, uh, from an RPG round. I wasn't hurt bad enough to leave. Delta Company had to stop the attack because they had to get these wounded out. So they put these people on stretchers and started an ordeal that would last almost 12 hours. Some of the most physically demanding of, the entire, of my entire tour. We're talking 45 degree slopes, vines and whatever, but we're also getting shot at. Find out what the attack on Hamburger Hill looked like from the other side. A North Vietnamese Army soldier tells his own tale of bravery and sacrifice. That's just ahead on War Stories. On 14 May 1969, President Nixon presented an eight-point peace plan. It included the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Vietnam. In Vietnam's Ashaw Valley, only the dead had found peace. North Vietnamese forces on Hamburger Hill spent the night under intermittent artillery fire. But at first light, five U.S. fire bases began pouring shells into the mountain. It wasn't unusual for us to shoot 
uh, artillery to within about 40 meters of infantry that were undercover. 105 now, artillery. This is 105 artillery. 1966 West Point graduate Bob Scales Howitzers sat atop Firebase Berchtesgaden, less than five miles from Hamburger Hill. As soon as they made contact, we would be locked and cocked and ready. The rain of artillery fire stopped just before 0700. A stream of fighter bombers followed. Napalm, 500 and 1,000 pound bombs slammed into the NVA positions. Ringside for the fireworks, Charlie and Bravo companies waited for the next assault. The ground that's been pulverized has now turned to quagmire. You're just muddy and dirty and bloody and everything else that goes with it. The 14th was going to be Charlie Company's turn. An all-out assault. The 14th, I think, was the worst day of my life. A little after 0800, their lead elements reached the clearing that was now the Rakasan's killing field. And this enemy isn't breaking contact. They were not. But this wasn't just a, a routine engagement. These guys were dug in deep. This time, the enemy added mines to Bravo Company's greeting. Every advance was met with red-hot NVA shrapnel. Just a few hundred meters away, on another Razorback, Joel Troutman and Charlie Company were living their own nightmare. Second and third platoon went on the assault. They immediately got pinned down. My platoon leader was, was down. That was Lieutenant James Goff. A medic went up there to get Goff, and then he got killed. So one of the other medics went up, and he got shot. So then they called me, and I went up to Clarin, and I finally got Lieutenant Goff. Charlie Company pushed up the hill into withering fire. By 0900, they were past the second enemy bunker line. Moments later, the NVA launched a counterattack. Lieutenant Troutman and his platoon jumped into the fight. So I grabbed up my two squads and we went forward. Things were going fairly well, and Charlie just completely collapsed. They had taken about 50% casualties. Lieutenant Troutman had come up and was laying down some suppressing fire so we could get up there and get our wounded. I remember the feeling I had at the time. It was kind of a nightmarish feeling. The rifleman on the ground hollered grenade, and it went off, and, and it felt like uh, somebody hit me between the eyes with a sledgehammer. But I remember being in his face, and I was just trying to stop the bleeding. And I knew he was blind. I mean, the eyes were just hanging. I grabbed my face, and I said, oh, my God, my nose is gone, but I could feel it with my fingers. I don't cry very often, but I did that day. To the north, Delta Company was still trying to recover their dead and move into position for a flanking attack. You have to go back and get your dead. You can't leave moms and dads and wives wondering. It was becoming clear to Blackjack that the top of Hamburger Hill would have to wait. He ordered Frank Bosha, John Snyder, and the rest of Bravo Company's first platoon to support the Charlie Company medevac. We moved up to a trail to help them bring back gear, bring back bodies. How many dead and wounded did you take out there? Charlie Company that day suffered about 50 casualties, I believe. Bosha and the rest of his platoon pulled back with Charlie Company's dead and wounded. It was a dreadful day. 12 men KIA, over 80 wounded, and not another inch further up the hill. And I look up at the hill, and there's these little fires all around. And I realize right then that these guys are cooking their evening meal and a meal for the next day. That's the first time I'd ever seen the NVA dig in and say, we're here, come get us. You have 80 to 85 pounds on your back. 
It's 90 degrees and equal humidity. The jungle around you is full of enemy that's trying to kill you. And you have to get back up and go up this hill. And that's exactly what they did. Day six. With Charlie Company guarding the battalion command post, Colonel Honeycutt ordered Alpha Company up the hill for another try. 21-year-old Lieutenant Dan Bresnahan commanded Alpha Company's 3rd Platoon. Alpha Company was sort of going in a different direction from the time we first landed. We got calls from battalion, so we immediately started back. Bresnahan's company commander was 26-year-old Buckeye Bob Harkins. Hour into the fight, going up the hill, we're still okay. It was the most intense gunfire I have ever heard. Captain Littman was talking to me in my ear and I couldn't hear what word he was saying. We just couldn't imagine that they could stand up to that. A helicopter comes over and dumps into the man group for B Company. And that wiped out our CP. Three killed. Captain Linton was severely wounded. I'm standing in the middle of these guys. I haven't even got a scratch. To this day, that still sets heavy on my mind. There's three times in the space of four days where we had soldiers killed by uh, our own air defense uh, artillery. John, where were you in this sentence? Just off the CP. And the medic said, get on the radio, get us medevacs. So I called up Blackjack. Well, they were pretty clear. Continue the assault. After the medevacs? During the medevacs. Told to just keep pushing up. And the men were uh, seated on the ground underneath the trees, and one of them looked up and saw me and just stopped what he was saying because he could just see the look on my face. I never gave the order, I never said anything. They stood up and they gathered their ammo and they moved up that hill. Then, after the aerial artillery hit us, of course, the NVA hit us even harder. The bad guys had kind of stopped B Company, and now they were all after us. We tried. We never got any farther than we ever got before. We got pulled off finally. And company at this point was down to less than half strength. The guys in your platoon began to think of this mountain as not just a mountain. That's right. Not all of us, but many of us sat with our backs to the mountain, almost as if we were kids again, and we were hiding under our blankets, and as long as you kept that blanket overhead and you couldn't see the monster, you were okay, and that's how you felt. 18 May, a third push by the Rakasans is repulsed by a determined enemy. Hell on a steep hill when War Stories returns. Fifteen May, that night NVA sappers slipped down the hill. These skilled infiltrators were after Blackjack's battalion command post. The sappers ran headlong into Lieutenant Troutman's first platoon. Started about 30 minutes after dark, and it didn't end until 15 minutes before dawn the next morning. The enemy's weapon of choice? Satchel charges, canvas packs full of explosives. The NVA simply threw them. Troutman's platoon responded with a rain of grenades while a gunship poured out 24,000 rounds a minute. Rather than run or scatter like they usually would, uh, 
uh, these enemy troops were standing and firing back. Shortly after dawn on the 16th, day seven of the battle for Hamburger Hill, Honeycutt ordered Delta Company up the ridge into Bravo Company's old position. They were joined by Alpha Company, commanded by Captain Bob Harkins. Another battalion of the Screaming Eagles, the first of the 506, was supposed to be in position for a simultaneous assault. The idea was we were going in here and the 06 was going to go in there and drive this way. That was always the concept. But the first of the 506 had their own problems. Do they make it? No. They ran into heavy trouble. Not much happened on the 16th and 17th as Honeycutt was preparing for a big assault on the 18th. We knew it was our turn. We knew it was coming. We fired thousands of rounds. I, I was constantly on the radio just calling for more ammunition, more ammunition, more ammunition. We put a lot of ton of bombs and artillery shells on that place. From the pilot seat of his OH-6, Indiana native Dave Fishbaugh had a bird's eye view of the battle. Tell me what it looked like to you in the cockpit. From 2,000 feet away, it's just, you know, little ants and a lot of artillery. From the air, you don't get a true appreciation of the fighting that's going on on the ground. A company and my company are to attack. And I go on a recon with the lead platoon leader from Alpha Company. And uh, I remember seeing Lee, you know, punch him on the shoulder and I said, see you on top of the hill. And uh, I didn't see him again for 30 years. That attack on the 18th, we were moving up just right out of the textbook, just behind the artillery, and followed by CS, tear gas. The gas, unfortunately, drifted down. It blew right us. back over. As far as getting your breath and walking and all these conditions were just horrendous. And then the battle-hardened enemy opened up. The fire was so intense that it was just pop, 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 pop. Delta Company had been assaulting, and they were taking some heavy fire. My company commander said, you need to send about a half dozen men up this flank. I looked at the terrain, I said, are you kidding? That'd be suicide. So. I did the last thing I wanted to do. I picked up my, my weapon, <clears throat> picked up my ammo, started walking through them, and I said, come on, I'll go with you. How long did that assault take? Probably five hours. You got wounded that day. That's right. What was it hit you? Uh, a machine gun. I saw it. And the next thing I know is that I'm getting reports that uh, uh, Lee Sanders is down, First sergeant's down, that uh, all the officers are dead. And we got maybe 40, 50 meters from the wood line. And suddenly the column stopped, and I was hit. I remember it felt like somebody had just tied a rope around my leg <clears throat> from about 50 feet away and yanked on as hard as they could. Did you pull back from the open area at night? We had so many casualties in six, seven hour period. We couldn't go any farther. With Troutman and Sanders down, and the first of the 506 still battling into position, the Rakasans would have to wait yet another day to take the hill. What happens to that enemy machine gun? The guy died 30 seconds later. I watched my guys kill him. There's some satisfaction in that. 
It was supposed to take just one day, but in the end, it took 11. The bloody and battered screaming eagles tamed the crouching beast. That's next on War Stories. Nineteen May, day ten. The Rakasans witnessed more pummeling airstrikes against the hill, already battered and barren. They spent the day waiting for two other battalions to move into position. Honeycutt planned to make a final assault on the morning of the twentieth. I called all the company commanders back and said, "Now, if you can't handle this, now's the time to speak up." And nobody said anything. I said, "Okay, we're going all the way this time." The bloodied Rakasans were preparing for one last surge up Hamburger Hill. During the fight for Dong Ap Bia, did you see many Americans? I saw a lot of Americans when I was climbing up the hill. While in Vietnam, war stories tracked down and spoke with Couchette, a local militia soldier who'd helped the NVA defend Hamburger Hill. We used ambush a lot as our main tactic. Was there one particular weapon that the Americans had that made you most concerned, most afraid? We were most afraid of artillery and airstrikes. Kushet, I want you to meet Frank Borsha. I'm very glad to meet you here. Tell him I'm honored. Earlier before, you said that you were the lucky ones. We are the lucky ones to have survived this war. Johnny, you've now tried assaulting this hill three days in a row. Three in a row. I had just about made up my mind that I wasn't going to come back down that hill unless I was going feet first. I was going to the top no matter what. On May 20th, Honeycutt attacked with Alpha and Charlie Company and held Delta in reserve. Slowly, Alpha and Charlie Companies moved up one side of the hill while three other battalions tightened the noose on the NVA. As Johnny Jackson and the rest of Alpha Company reached the first bunker line about 100 meters from the top, the lack of enemy fire created an eerie calm. The quiet spread hope that the NVA had retreated overnight. Then, at the second bunker line 70 meters from the top, all hell broke loose. They were really throwing some heavy, heavy stuff on us. I was in a bomb crater. Came up out of this thing, got shot through the ear, and uh, all I know is I had blood everywhere. But I can't see and I can't hear. But that's as far as I got. Suddenly, high school track star Johnny Jackson decided he had to do something. He grabbed his M60 machine gun and charged up the hill. Their position on the hill was staggered. Position here, position there, position there. I jumped in that charge, got to that position of three of them in there. Knocked that position out, went to the next position. By the time you take that third enemy machine gun position, how far are you to the top of the hill? About 40, 50 yards. And all of it exposed to fire? All of it, yeah. I could see bullets hitting here, bullets hitting there. I wasn't getting hit. Matter of fact, I really didn't realize I was at the top until uh, other guys behind me got there and said, well, damn, you're at the top, man. Don't go away. There's more courage and commitment from Hamburger Hill when War Stories returns. Defending Hamburger Hill cost the NVA at least 633 dead. 
but taking the hill killed 70 Americans and wounded almost 400 others. They must have had something there that, that they were really wanting to protect. They did. Hamburger Hill was an NVA regimental headquarters. Searching the hilltop, U.S. forces found a cave network holding 75,000 rounds of ammunition, 10 tons of rice, and a hospital. Less than a month after sweeping the enemy from the crest, American forces moved off Hamburger Hill. Some wondered why such a high price was paid for a piece of real estate that wouldn't be held. There are those who said it was a terrible mistake. It was a waste. Was it? No. No. No, it wasn't. Our job, our mission... Was to make contact. Was to make contact. It was not a mission of owning property. Was the hill worth it? As for eliminating the enemy, yes. Ultimately, the infantry had to go up there and put the boots on the ground. Hollywood might have you believe that wars like the one in Vietnam and battles like Hamburger Hill were all for nothing. Don't tell that to the men who lived the wretched existence of an infantryman in combat. If you press them, they'll acknowledge their role in the Cold War battle against communism. But what they want to be remembered for is fighting for each other. They were just kids out of high school. They fight as good as anybody. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. If I needed me again, I'd go back again. They fight for each other. This is a band of brothers. Most wars aren't popular. Ours wasn't. You're proud of the flag, you're proud of your country, but you usually end up fighting for your buddies in the battle. Everyone was a hero. I don't remember a single man saying, no, I can't do this anymore. In the end, our trip to the top of Hamburger Hill took more than three hours. It took Frank almost 40 years. Frank, what, what does this trip to the top of Hamburger Hill mean to you? Personally, not a lot. I, I feel neither pleasure nor pain about being here, but I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here because there were men that I left behind. And they should be here. They gave everything they had, every ounce of courage. Every bit of manhood, and they left it on these slopes. And if I had one wish, it would be that they would be here right now. What makes an exhausted, sweat-soaked soldier pick up his gear, grab his weapon, and try once more to do what seems impossible? To a man, those who battled out there on Hamburger Hill did so because they were inspired by a sense of duty to one another. Forged under fire, loyalty gave them the tenacity to finish the mission. Theirs is a war story that deserves to be told. I'm Oliver North. Good night. Hi. 
everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.